You are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. checked out the new Hyundai Elantra. How was it? I have to say, it was a pretty smooth operator. Are you sure you're talking about a car? <laughs> it's a tech lover's dream. The digital key feature lets you lock and unlock the doors. And get this, with dynamic voice recognition, I can control the temperature, roll down the windows, and change radio stations just by talking. <laughs> I know you like that. <laughs> you too can talk to the all-new Hyundai Elantra. Learn more at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan. And you guys know here at Black Girl Nerds, we're continuing to talk about representation and um, just not only letting your voice be heard, but also to have an advocate or have somebody knowing that there's somebody standing by your side um, that's also in the fight with you. And, you know, basically creating their own seat to help, um, you know, behind the scenes to help more voices. And particularly, um, you know, here um, at For Black Girl Nerds, we're usually talking about the entertainment industry And I'm keeping that train going for this episode. And I want to talk about um, specifically talent and literary agents, which we don't always don't always get their props. We don't always talk about them a lot. Um, But I have Miss Tiana Jackson with me today. And I'm very excited because we get to see this new perspective. We always talk about, okay, there needs to be representation. What's going on behind the scenes? So I'm very excited to hear her little nuggets of wisdom and hear what she can tell us. So first off, Tiana, how you doing? Welcome. Thank you for joining me. Hello, thank you for having me. Very excited to be here and discuss all things Black and nerd. I know, right? Yeah, it's cool. We we need a lot more Black nerd times right now, just kind of like a little break from everything that's going on. Yeah, I really hope we have time to talk about all the ways in which Barry Allen is trash. But see, actually, we will. We will. I'm going to get back to that because that's something I definitely want to talk to you about because I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about, I don't know, we might be on the same train, but that's exactly what I was going to talk to you about. So before we get to that, though, I want to start out with, um, okay, you're you're being brave enough. And I want to say brave because I know there's a lot of hoops you have to jump through and a lot of things that you probably encounter creating your own seat at the table. But starting off, what was it about media and entertainment that spoke to you where you were like, okay, I need to be a part of this. This is where I need to, I've, I need to put my effort towards. Yeah, by birth, I'm a dreamer. I'm a Pisces. So if you know a Pisces, if you have a Pisces okay. in your life, mm-hmm. you understand. So we're very creative, you know, whimsical creatures, if you will. And so I really fell in love with uh, movies and television as a kid. And as I became a teen, I became interested in actually creating um, materials. Like I shot my first couple of short films when I was in high school, started writing scripts mm. and, and things of that nature, did a podcast when those were popular, when, you know, podcasting was first happening. So right. I knew that I always wanted to do something in entertainment, but entertainment is an extreme hustle, meaning you're constantly looking for your next check. And mm. I'm just not about that life. I need a check every two weeks. If you know what I mean, you know, I need steady. Right, right. Um, so mm. I pursued accounting instead of um, 
entertainment full time. Yeah, and that's interesting that you bring that up too, because a lot of people don't think about that. They just kind of see like the glam and the lights, and they don't really realize, yeah, you got to worry about that paycheck too, like how you paying the bills and you know all the financial aspects, especially like if you think about the top hair we're wearing right now. Absolutely, you know it is it is very similar to construction where you know you're on a job and then you're constantly looking for your next job, and then as a talent agent, because now I'm on the other side of things where I'm seeing these projects come out and they're casting, and you're privy to the rates of pay when it comes to um, what we would say, you know, is no name actors, meaning these are highly qualified professional people, but they haven't been chosen to be a part of that elite 1%. There's not a lot of money there. On average, it's about $100 is really what's there after taxes. And so because Hollywood projects this image of the rich and famous and fabulous, we tend to think that anyone who is a working actor is rich and famous and fabulous. And that's just not the case. Right, right. And but you know, let me talk about what I think is fabulous though, which is cool right now that I gotta I gotta um drop a couple of um let people to know about you here. First of all, you became the first Writers Guild of America franchise in Atlanta, the Jackson Agency. Also, you are let me see here, the the hundred percent black owned agency for the WGA franchise in Los Angeles, right? Correct. That's pretty cool. I just wanna I wanna throw that out there because people I don't think people always realize especially now that there are certain um shows being um called out certain production companies you know about representation not having people behind the scenes and you know where to go find that representation um having those accolades what has that meant to you and what were some of your challenges even getting to that level even you know having like you talked about a little bit but even having the courage to um courage to start the jackson agency um you know it it came from a place of okay, they're not going to let me do this. Um, you know, people who know my story know that despite having a degree from Chapman University, which is very well-renowned in mm-hmm. Southern California, and having not one but two professional program certificates from UCLA, one in producing and the other in screenwriting, I was still unemployable at these agencies, even in the most basic level, meaning I couldn't even just answer the phone, basically. Um, So after a while, it just turned into, you know, this is the same issue we were having literally 15 years ago when I was trying to get my best friend an agent or even taking his stuff out and shopping his stuff. I had done a pitch to Eric LaSalle's production company back in, I would say, the the middle of like the 2000s, like Mm -hmm. 2006 or seven, maybe. Um, So there were some challenges obviously with getting his materials out, but also getting him representation. And at the time, all that was on our TV screens at that point was literally Morris Chestnut and Gabrielle Union in movies over and over and over together. Mm, right? Yeah. So yeah. It really didn't seem like there was anybody in any lane, whether it was entertainment attorney, talent agent, manager, publicist, whatever. It just really seemed like there wasn't um, anyone who was able to conduct business that was non-white. So I was producing some projects um, and casting those projects myself, trying to basically create my own film school, if you will, and build a producer's reel. And I was overhearing one of the actors who obviously was talented enough for me to cast them in my project. And they said that they Mm -hmm. were still having trouble finding an agent. And that just kind of struck a chord with me because that was the same issue that my best friend and I had over a decade ago. And I'm like, how are we still in the same place at this point? So I started looking into some things because he had wanted me to be his agent ever since we were in our 20s. But all I knew of it to be was that you had to go to law school, you know, and be an attorney to do it. And that was obviously I was wrong about that. That was an extreme misconception. 
Um, so I went forth and started looking into how you become um, an agent. And um, again, tried to find employment, could not, um, and started my own agency. And even in the last two to three years after spending four or five years on my grind, learning the business hands-on, getting people on TV, whether it's in commercials or co-stars on TV shows, I'm still unable to gain employment at any agency. And I've interviewed at quite a few mid-level agencies. Um, So for me, it really was about, okay, if you want something done, you're going to have to do it yourself. Ironically, it seems to be a familial trait, meaning Mm -hmm. my mother's father, my grandfather was the first black mechanic hired for uh, Los Angeles County. Mm. And my father was the first black superintendent of Reynolds Manufacturing. So find me in, you know, 2019 making history, which, you know, it's Mm. good and bad. It's great for press, but bad for, you know, the black community in the sense that it took 2019 for someone to actually come in, you know, with a black owned business that's a hundred percent. There are other um, black women that are involved, but they have, they've partnered with white men. And so that's why we make the distinction of me having 100% ownership Exactly. Um, yeah. Black owned agency. And there's a significant, you know, there's a significance in that. And that's why it's important. Um, so I'm delighted to be the first, but at the same time, then it creates a lot of pressure, right? Because now we have to really mm-hmm. deliver. But yep. the more and more I dive into this, this industry, the more difficult it seems like it's going to be. And that's even after having some conversations with some A-listers. Over the summer, I spent a lot of money marketing on Instagram, trying to coax these black A-listers over here to come with us. Wow. But it became quite obvious that they were completely okay with where they were at at the white-owned agencies, but Mm -hmm. enjoyed misleading the public by using their platform to suggest that they were not okay where they were at. Um, But the truth is, is that they have decided to stay where they are um, because they like it. But they mm-hmm. will tell you on social media that, you know, they're being mistreated and this, that and the other is happening. And those things are true. But for whatever reason, they're telling you to fight the good fight and rebuke and boycott this place, boycott, boycott that place. But they're not even boycotting their own agencies. And it's sad. Right, right. And it's that and I almost think it's like, you know, have no idea how that feels, I guess, as as a actors or actress, just somebody looking in. But it almost feels like you're afraid to be like, OK, I need to go. I need to go over here. And this needs to be part of black community that's owned. You know what I mean? Like you're afraid to take that leap and say, oh, well, let me take a chance to see what happens. You know, because you rather just take those, you know, those negatives, those things that are coming against you rather than, you know, let me just step out and take this chance to see what happens. Yeah, I look at it as part of it is personal preference, and the other part of it is programming. Um, and that's mm, something that yeah, kind of yeah. came up um, when I was in the New York Times with the other Black agents at those other agencies where I right. had a Black woman who was just getting started in the industry, for whatever reason, scheduled a meeting with me. But then while she was sitting there with me, told me flat out that she wanted a white agent. I don't even know why wow. she scheduled the meeting. Mm. So yeah. there is this, this notion of, you know, white equals success. Um, but you have to look at the way these other agencies are structured, meaning they roll out the red carpet for you. Right. And you've seen yeah. it. Kind of mm-hmm. on these shows. Mm-hmm. Entourage was a, a darn near accurate example of what it's like at those bigger agencies where they'll just pull in people off the floor and be yeah. like, yeah, I'm in this room for this meeting real quick. And these people are not even on that person's team, but they create this perception. Then they do all these other things, right. They have access to the best publicists, 
you know, they have access to all the studios. And so they're able to use their relationships to create um, a false reality, if you will, and make it seem like, hey, you know, this is where you want to be. We've got this. We've got this. You know, we can schedule your travel. We can do all these things. But at the end of the day, they're being compensated for those things. And we see those things on the inside when you look at the overall deals that a lot of these actors and actresses are getting. When I talk to the people who work for these actors and actresses who have their own production companies, they admit that they are employed by the agency and that everything that mm-hmm. they do becomes property of the agency. So there's a, wow. it's, yeah. it's a lot deeper than I think people really realize. Um, mm-hmm. A few weeks ago, mm-hmm. I actually broke it down on my agency Instagram where I talked about how agencies avoid violating the Antitrust Act. There's a Sherman Act, which um, basically is put in place to avoid antitrust. And I was Mm -hmm. breaking down uh, William Morris Endeavor and how apparently Endeavor owns 18 different entities in the realm of entertainment. Those entities include distribution and finance, which is Mm -hmm. the bank, the funder of the film. Right, yep all the way through um, at least three or four different talent agencies in addition to William Morris. Um, not to mention they also apparently own the UFC. Um, so, oh, wow, yeah. And, and one of the agencies, which was shocking, was an agency for the Associated Press. So when you start getting into all mm-hmm. of that, you can see that like, as an independent boutique, vertical integration, which is what it is, makes it extremely difficult for us to be competitive when you've got all yeah. of that already existing. Mm-hmm. And speaking of already existing and we um uh what you mentioned off the top I want to kind of go back to here um you mentioned Barry Allen and so I've said multiple times on this podcast I'm a huge superhero fan love the um you know they have some work to do CW has some work to do um you know watch a lot of their superhero shows that they have on here but here's the thing here's the thing about the flash that I've noticed and I don't know if we're on the same page about this because I want to talk about the writers room with you and what Hollywood is missing in this writers room the thing I remember about the flash when it comes to, when it comes to Barry Allen is Candace Patton. I remember her family. Okay. So you have basically, um, you know, the fam- this, this, this black family here on the show, they referred to grandma Esther's noodles as like the signature dish that she has to have in the show. And I can never get it out of my head because I kept thinking, I was like, if they just asked her, if they asked anybody else, you know, a black family wouldn't have, I mean, you know, maybe they have somewhere down the line, some kind of signature dish or something, but I was thinking noodles, is that what they came up with? It, and it was just said like over and over again. And I remember her, uh, Candace Patton, bringing it up in a press conference uh, one time because I think she had heard it a lot or maybe fans had talked about it. But it was just one of those things where I was like, it's very, or it seems easy to me, I guess I should say as a fan, for them to find this information out. You know, not to be, not something that you just, like the writers just put out there like they think is going to work. Like just slap it on the board like it's going to work. So what are your thoughts on just like Hollywood in general, the writer's room and, you know, what they're not looking for, what's missing? I mean, we have the numbers. So the numbers show that the majority of these writer's rooms are Caucasian. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so that is impacting um, the stereotypes and the perception of what it means to be black in entertainment. Um, Right. And you have more writers speaking up about that. Um, I've been fortunate enough to be connected with the committee of black writers at the writers guild of America and Mm -hmm. let them know the agency exists and why we exist. And, you know, really just asking how can we be of service to your member? Um, And then you just had a woman who was fired over the weekend off a show, right? I think Supergirl Mm -hmm. or something where. Yeah. I heard about that. Yeah. 
admitting, you know, some issues in some places. And then, of course, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. a few white men decided to make comments. Oh, she just seems like such a joy to work with. Right. You know, these backhanded Mm -hmm. things that they do Um, for writers rooms. Really, when I talk to white men about these situations, because of the history in America of what Caucasians have done, they are worried that diversity will be retribution and a reckoning. Mm, And I've said this over and over again, that just black people are incapable. Like if you haven't figured Mm, it out by now, you've literally had your dogs attack us. You've, you've sprayed us with water hoses, you know, and all of these things. And we still just have not rallied and just, you know, said, Hey, enough is enough. We've kind of just prayed it all away and went about our day. But what they're really worried is that diversity will mean the end of them. And you saw that with the alt-right, that you will not replace Mm -hmm. us, right? That's what Mm -hmm. they're worried about. And for the rest of us, it's really just about opportunity. It's about saying, hey, I'm here. I've got great stories. Or, hey, I'm here. I'm a director. I'm really great at crafting stories. Please take a look at my work. Please give me an opportunity. Please give me the same concessions you would give your mediocre nephew. That's what we're asking. Yeah, yeah. Um, And so when it comes to diversifying these writers rooms, what they did was the same thing that they did when affirmative action came in place. It turned out that white women were considered minorities. And so white women started to occupy these writers rooms. Okay. So much so to where one of the guys over at FX started proudly proclaiming how diverse their room was. And I'm in a group in Facebook where we were just like, give us the actual numbers because a lot of us in here are still unemployed. So we know that it's not true. Right. Um, so the problem is, is that you have what I call uh, PR crisis management. That's mm-hmm. what diversity equity and inclusion is. And I can say that having had several conversations with high ranking executives at various places, CBS stars, um, NBC, et cetera, even inside the WGA, um, I've had some really extremely disrespectful comments hurled my way by diversity mm. um, and inclusion officers. And the funny part is, is they're all non-white. So I've mm. had yeah. black people say disrespectful things to me. I've had Latino people say disrespectful things to me. And I've had Asian people say disrespectful things to me. And they're supposed to be the ones fostering this diversity and inclusion when really what it is is just a talking head so that the general public thinks that things are changing. And then they tell the bigger agencies, well, hey, can you just send us over a couple of others so we can say that we're committed to this thing? And so a lot of times what I talk about is rallying the public and letting them understand and know that, hey, this diversity and inclusion thing is all a ruse. Um, You cannot just continue to show us the Ava DuVernay's and the Issa Rae's and the Lena Waits and tell us that things are changing. That's only three black people. (laughs) yeah it's true yeah Mm. there are more than three black people in entertainment you know we're not really getting uh fresh voices and that that's something that we've been working on with my agency is like hey everyone's focused on the actors you know the writers have rallied but no one's paying attention to the agents and the agencies and i keep mentioning that i'm like you need to also diversify the agencies with which you do business not continue to keep doing business with the same mega agencies Mm -hmm. The thought has yeah, crossed their paths, to be honest. Right, like, right. Oh. Yeah, and you have, and you're bringing in those those underdogs that people, you know, as the world is thinking of them as underdogs that you don't, like you said, are not paying attention because they're not at these other these bigger agencies. 
Um, and to me, it's just, it's, it's unbelievable the feeling, I guess, as a fan, and maybe that's more of us just talking, talking up more about it. Or like you said, um, going, you know, stepping out of your conference on, so to speak, or, or trying these agencies that are all, um, that are hundred percent black owned. But the idea that every time there's a new casting somewhere for a show, you get this, I know I get this kind of cringe feeling where I'm like, oh my gosh, are they going to put the writer's room the way it needs to be? Because it is that feeling of seeing somebody on screen that looks like you and when they start talking or when there's like a certain concept, something about culture, that's just not right. And you're like, well, there goes my, you know, there's my whole joy in wanting to watch this and check out something new. Yeah. And you're, you're also dealing with a big thing about writer's rooms. Like, for instance, I forget the man's name. He was the showrunner for, I think, the show Unnecessary Roughness. Um, basically one of his writers had gotten that show picked up, but he needed a bona fide showrunner in order to get USA to green light the show. Oh, okay. So yeah. this guy came over. And so he was one of our professors for the evening when I was in producer school and someone had asked the question of like, you know, what do you look for when you're putting together your writer's room? And he said that he will have only two just straight up and down writers, just two mm-hmm. bona fide writers. But then what they will do is have one guy who's there just to crack jokes all day. He's like, you have to understand we're together like 12, 18 hours a day. So you have to be able to stand the person that you're with. So one right. person's job is to literally just be the jester. He's like, another person is like my wife's brother. Okay. Wow. He didn't have anything wow. else to say about yeah. that. And then he was like, and then we'll get like, you know, a brand new writer, you know, or a writer's PA or whatever. And so Ever since he said that thing, like ever since he said that, I it's just completely changed my view because I grew up in this industry thinking that in order to get those kinds of jobs, you had to be the absolute best at your craft. You had to be. Yeah, that's what I best. thought. Yep. That's, that's what, what I they thought, yep. into us. But the truth is, is you don't. And there, that's why there's truth to that old saying of, you know, it's who you know, not what you know. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's just yeah, it's just unbelievable just to hear it out, like all these nuggets that you're giving us the way it's it's breaking down. And also too, not only diversity, but I saw I saw as well looking at your website here, um, senior citizens that you're representing that you also pointing that out too. Which it which is it sounds so funny to me to even say that because I know some of these actresses that I've um black actresses you grew up watching and you're like they could still play in any of these shows I'm watching right now, do different roles. Why are they always pigeonholed and put in this one little category? What are your thoughts on that? And what is the Jackson agency doing as far as that and um what have you what have you noticed? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, um my father, unlike most people, I'm I'm thirty-eight and my father was born in nineteen forty. My father just celebrated his eightieth birthday. So happy uh, birthday. My father is a direct descendant of, you know, the civil rights era movement, Mm -hmm, you know. mm -hmm. And so he is 80 and active. You would not know he was 80. And a lot of the people in my family Mm -hmm. are elderly and active. And Mm -hmm. they outperform probably people in their sixties who are older. Okay. Um, Right. So it was important to make sure that they weren't being cast away just because of ageism, because we know that that's something that America is really bad at. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And considering I have so many seniors in my life who are professionals, um, they've, they've got history and experience and wisdom on their side. It was a no brainer and being able to link up with the longevity committee at the WGA was great as well to say, Hey, I'm here if you guys need me. So that way, 
you know, if they really do need an agent and they're interested in working with someone like me, meaning black, because that's still an issue, believe it or not, then I'm here for them. Mm-hmm. So that was super important. It is even more of a hurdle when we're talking about a writer's room, right? Because generally those right. are younger. Normally your showrunners mm-hmm. are young and, you know, fast and hip and, you know, the next big thing, right? Right. While they kind of phase out. Um, and then occasionally they get pulled back in like David E. Kelly, right? He kind of disappeared for a while mm-hmm. and now he's mm-hmm. back. Um, so now you're trying to service a community of people who have been around as Hollywood has changed. Hollywood has gone through several changes in our elders' lifetimes. And so they can bring some really unique old school storytelling perspectives that these younger folks could blend into the new style of storytelling. You can tell there's a, there's a different way uh, with stories now. They're just being told in a different way. Sometimes mm-hmm. things don't make sense and it's okay. It's, it's weird. Um, right. It's true. So, That's true. Yep. So I wanted to make sure that we created space for them. And then when you're trying to figure out this whole writer's room thing, then you're dealing mm-hmm. with the number one issue that we've always had, which is, oh, well, you know, blacks have attitudes or they have this or that. And so now you're dealing with cultural differences. And so to anybody who's just like, yeah, how do I deal with black people? I would suggest that they figure out how they manage to coexist with Italians with no problem because Italians Mm -hmm. are literally like black people. They are passionate, loving people. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what black people are. And so it's like, if you can love Italians and you can love black people, no problem. Yeah. Yeah. Just as that, like, it's just so weird. It's like, well, how do I coexist? It's like, what? Or how do you, I just always feel like it's that question where it's just like, why don't you just, you know, ask somebody or why is it just the automatic reactions for me to just insert my culture in there and not think to refer to anybody else or, you know, ask somebody that's been doing this. What it boils down to is if you look at the history of the United States, it's back to what happened to blacks in general, which was Mm -hmm. we were forced to assimilate or we adapted, right? We found creative ways to coexist in both worlds. Um, white America is so used to us assimilating, right? Oh, yep. your natural mm-hmm. hair is ugly and, and we don't like it. So then we started straightening our hair to fit in, right? Yeah. Um, and so now we're getting back to embracing our natural selves and they're struggling because it's foreign to them. They're so used to us just doing what they do and doing what they say. And now we're saying, well, how come we can't work together, but I have natural hair? I was discriminated against for having natural hair. They cut me a check, like real talk. Wow. <laughs> wow. Um, I did a big chop on Cinco de Mayo of 2013. I had grown mm-hmm. out my hair naturally for about a year. I'd always had relaxers. I was an athlete. So, you know, it was hard to, you know, press out right. your hair every day. That blah, blah, mm-hmm, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, And so I finally made the decision to do the big chop. And I went into work and I was repeatedly harassed for, I think, about three days, three or four days. This was many years ago at this point. Yeah. Um, by a white woman who thought that she had street cred because she went to Kent State. And if you wow. don't know what happened at Kent State, that's the infamous uh, place where the National Guard mm-hmm. slaughtered a whole bunch of white kids for demanding equality. Yeah. Um, so she felt like she could proceed to decorate my office with Black Panther paraphernalia and pictures of Angela Davis Jeez. for several days. Yeah. Um, to where the shop manager asked me if I was okay with this. And I just looked at him perplexed and was like, I'm not even really sure what this is. Mm-hmm. And so the owner of the company, she was a, a widow. She was getting ready to come in. And that's when the woman came in and snatched down everything she put up. And that's when I knew that it had malicious intent. 
Oh, wow. Um, so I've seen the ugly side of it. And this was an entertainment mm. company I was working for. I was working for a company that actually had won the Oscars for uh, Star Wars, I believe. And then they also mm. had designed, I think, the animatronic shark for Jaws. So they were well yeah. known in the entertainment mm. industry. Um, and I, uh, I think I was probably their first black hiree because one day uh, the owner's friend came in. And when she saw me, her eyes just lit up. And then she yeah. went to the office and kind of whispered, like, you didn't tell me you had a black one, right? So oh, anyway, yeah. I've been through so much in this industry that ultimately what the issue is, is that they have maintained so much control that now they're seeing it sort of slip away, but not really. You have to re- mm-hmm. remember that over 90% of senior and C-level executives still control this industry. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You might be getting a few more black faces on your screens, you know, a few more black faces in deadline, but it's still white owned and white controlled. Um, And so it's going to take a a long, 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 long time before you see true change. It really is. You have people like Lena Waithe and Issa Rae who each have their own programs for, you know, entry level pathways. But that's still 10 years until we're going to see the changes from that. Yeah. Um, so I just kind of remind everybody to, to really take a look at what's going on, really watch what these guys are doing in the actual moves they make, not the tweets that they make. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Cause everything is so social media driven. And then like, if you're at quarantine, if you're stuck at home, that's all you're doing is looking at Instagram and Twitter and not getting the full story, not doing your research, which is very important. Speaking of which, um, you've already given us given us so many cool nuggets about this already. But do you have any kind of little last nuggets as far as people wanting to writers wanting to get into the industry, actors, um, actresses wanting to get into the industry? What your what your tips would be for that? Yeah, um, with the writers, make sure that you're sound with writing. There there is a need for technically sound writers, meaning you properly know how to format scripts. That's the biggest issue that we see when we get new scripts from people is that they want to write and want to tell stories, but they haven't taken the time to really study this craft Mm -hmm. um, and really understand that there's different formatting for different scripts, depending on what you want to do. And you have to really hone in on that because things can get complicated, especially when you're getting into off screen versus on camera versus voiceover. Those are nice in any way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. Um, You're dealing with interior exterior shots. You have to figure out how to properly format those day versus night locations, yada, yada, yada. There's Mm -hmm. more to it with slug lines than you just writing the story. And I know that there are people out there that are like, but, but, but Joss Whedon, but, but, but Catherine Bigelow. Well, here's the deal, kids. They're funding their own stuff. They're getting paid by the studios. They can write that script any which way they want. You, however, cannot. You're not Mm, there yet. So there's something to be said about presenting clean, polished materials. Because there is a certain look that I have figured out, but I can't give it to you in a scientific way. What I can say is that most of the time when I see a script that has the perfect balance of black and white, meaning spaces and actions and words and stuff, dialogue basically there's something about it that just looks magical and i wish i could quantify it but i can't there are some mm-hmm. people who really know how to write screenplays and so my advice would be the same do the same stuff i did i started at 14 15 year, years old dialing in on aol and going inside a yahoo chat room and writing with these people and getting you know critical feedback it was never nice just really keeping my ear to the ground learning about writing 
listening to other showrunners, listening, listening to other writers, attending different workshops and conferences, just really immersing yourself in it. I feel like a lot of writers don't do that, which is why we're having the problems that we're having with some of these writers is that we can't just take things scribbled on a napkin to a studio. Trust me, I've gone through it. We've tried one sheets. They've come back and said, well, we need more information. You've got to have everything fully developed now. That's where we're at with it. Yeah, you um, do. The, you definitely have to. Yep. True. On the actor side, it's the same thing. Studying that craft, taking classes, making sure that you have improv, comedy, Meisner. Those are the key things that you need to have. You, you can't just come up in here. I will say to my agency, you cannot just come in here with your resume all willy nilly and written in crayon. It just doesn't work for here. Um, we're very aggressive and very invested in the clients' careers that we have here. And I'm a stickler for certain things like that. Formatting is one of those things, both with scripts as well as resumes. You also have to understand that we are Black-owned. So for us, it is three times harder. We are placed under a microscope and scrutinized far much more than the most mediocre of white men will ever be. Um, so, I mean, I even had something where I, I did a showcase over the weekend and I had a white male agent basically questioning comments that I made to another actor about something where I, I literally told the actor, I really loved his eyes. He had nice eyes and he pursed his lips to not only mispronounce my name and call me Tawana. He said, well, I don't know what Tawana's talking about. Your eyeline was over here, blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah. when he said his name, he faced the camera and said, hello, my name is blank. And then started his audition. That's how I connected with his eyes. You yeah. know, this guy, mm -hmm. for whatever reason, and of course I was the token. I see now why they invited me. I go yeah. through this kind of stuff all the time. So we really, I cannot stress you to you enough, even though it upsets some of you, because I had somebody get upset about that on Instagram. Like, well, why do we have to be as good? Blah, blah, blah. That's just the way it is. Yeah, you know, I was going to say, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. And I mean, I'm trying to understand how, as a Black person, with all this history, all this melanin, all this ancestry flowing through your veins, why would you want to be mediocre? Yeah, like, that was I'm my on that, yep. Mm -hmm. To this person, like, are you, are you really out here just trying to be basic right now? Are you serious? So we just really want to continue to work with the professionals we work with. I have three Emmy Award winners inside my agency. I have Emmy Award winning journalist Kim Porcher. I have Emmy Award-winning makeup artist D'Angelo Thompson and Emmy Award-winning, two-time Emmy Award-winning producer Lisa L. Wilson, mm -hmm. who also has her own shop that she'll co-produce with um, Garcelle Bouvier. So we're dealing with people who saw what we're going on, what is going on. I don't want to say what was going on, what is going on, and said, yep. you know what, I want to make sure I have a Black agent. I'm already established in my career. I don't even need an agent to book work and do what I'm doing. But if I'm going to have an agent, I'm going to make sure it's a black agent. And they chose to come work with me when they could have chosen to go anywhere else in the world. But they explicitly said, you know what? I've seen you. I've known about you for some time. I like what you're all about. I like what you stand for. I want to work with you. Right. And that's what we need. We need more people like them to say, hey, T, let's work together. Let's grind. Let's do this work to impact change. But that's just, unfortunately, that's just not what's what's happening. Um, and yeah, there isn't much yeah. to do it better. Well, you know what? I mean, you got me. You got me. You got my attention. I hope you got the the listeners' attention that they want to do this because it is important. Like you said, you have to support when it's 100% Black-owned. Support it. Find out about it. Research. Have your stuff together. Don't just go in there with half, you know, like you said, half resumes and all this other kind of stuff. Make sure you got your stuff tight and right because I'm telling you, Tiana knows what she's talking about. 
Yeah, in Georgia, you know, we specifically made a franchise there for you guys after finding out that you had no support whatsoever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Literally talked to some writers and one of them said, I have to decide whether or not I want to move to L.A. or New York to get work because even though production is here, there's no writer's room here. And don't you guys start with a bu- 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 Tyler Perry. Hey, he's one man. Yeah, he's I was going to say, yeah, he's just one guy. Yeah, he can't do everything, yeah. Like, you can't, we can't all just be up under Tyler. Somebody's got to be at the CW. Somebody's got to be over yeah. freaking uh, Warner Media. Absolutely. So yeah. Yeah. We need more than just Tyler right now. That's true. Yeah. We need it. Definitely. That's definitely true. Um. All right. I want to switch here going to the end here so we can nerd out a little bit. I want to know, like, okay, Mary it's Allen's rainy day. Trash. What? Say it again. Mary Allen is trash. I'm just saying. Oh, that. yeah. Okay. Well, go ahead. Maybe you should go all with right. that one. Tell us why you, tell us your reason why Barry Allen is trash. How could Barry Allen not be trash? He is the most self-absorbed man on the planet. Iris has literally killed for this man. And every season, he is so dull that he can't even see that he's the reason why everyone dies. And then, even Ooh, though his yeah, entire family yep. tells him how much he means to them, how important he is... Anytime he has some sort of dumbass vision that says, oh, I'm going to die, he does everything possible to try to die. It just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, we re- and he does have a little problem with this uh, time travel and messing up the timeline. So there's that. Yeah, and then he gets extremely selfish. You're right. And then alters time. And so then I'm looking at this last season. I low-key, I don't know, maybe you can tell me, I low-key think there's an issue between him and Candace in real life. Because Ooh, yeah, that's interesting. Because, huh? because the entire like after what the first five episodes or whatever, then yeah, we went into the yeah. world, right? And so they were separated for damn near the entire season. That's true. They, yeah, they yeah. did this theory of oh, she's trapped behind the mirror, and this other there's this other girl. Now here's the deal: when the bad guy from what was that show that was on NBC that had the little he- heroes, right? When the bad yeah, guy, I don't yeah, know yeah. his real name, when he came and was running around doing all that crazy stuff with that little black plague stuff that he had. As soon as he infected Barry, Iris knew in 2.5 milliseconds and was like, Hey, somebody I'm about to see you at the house. And he's like, Oh, okay. And then she calmly walks away. It's like, Hey guys. Uh, yeah, that's not Barry. Yeah. Barry done been with this woman. Probably done, you know, been that's with his true. wife. Okay. Yeah, that's true. Yep. Better pancakes. Mm-hmm. She's letting him have his toxic masculinity and ain't really saying nothing. So, like, she's taking care of her man in her home and going and doing her thing at the Citizen. Barry ain't even noticed. Yeah, he did go a long time. I was like, how could he not know? He did go a long time. He did. As soon as the food was good, he should have known. You don't just magically make pancakes better overnight. But see, this (laughs) is why I hate hate the way they did Wally as well. And so Wally comes back. Oh, yeah. And all of a sudden, passing, he tells his daddy, hey, dad, something's wrong with Iris. All right, peace. I'm like, what? That was true. They 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 will continue to disrespect Wally West on the show. They continue to do that because every time you think they're gonna give him some episodes, a storyline, they're like, "Nope, we're just we're just joking with y'all." Just for like a couple minutes, he's gonna come back. Then they go put him on Legends of Tomorrow. He solves all their problems in one episode, and they're like, "Oh, you're too efficient. We have to write you off the show." It's um, you know, I was you you're making some lot of good points right now because I was thinking that you know there was a different, there was a little bit of upside, there was some change. Um, it's not enough because there should be some more, but having Eric Wallace now their showrunner on the flash, there's a, I feel like there's a little change in the characters that you see on there. The fact that Candace Patton is leaving and is in the mirror world is something different. You never would have saw. Cause basically it would have just been, okay, she disappeared. And then we would have focused on Barry trying to mess up things to get her back. 
Well, here's why I say I think something's going on between them. The chemistry just isn't there anymore. Like Ooh, I get that it was a kid show, but um, they grow. yeah, they don't kiss. No, yeah, like you don't see. I mean, maybe there's like a kiss. Maybe there was a That's kiss this past season. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> like I should be seeing their newlyweds. Like nah. Bruh, yeah, so they keep hard. it very like we might get a little hand touch on the side. Yeah, that's like fans' biggest criticism of this show. Like they 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 don't have anything. Like it's just supposed to be known that maybe they're affectionate off camera. It's just what the show does. Like you don't get any sort of little lovey dovey moments, anything. Mm-mm. But yeah, that that is hilarious. Yeah, I like nerded out with you on Barry. But yeah, that show is a trip. I'm hoping I don't know going into this next season. This next season, they had the COVID nineteen. You know, it's gonna be even less like touching now. <laughs> this is after this is after Rona, so we're gonna find out what his chemistry is. It's gonna be like that soap opera where they making out with dummies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty much. I mean, it's gonna be like opposite sides. Like you, th- we thought there was no chemistry before. Whoo! After this pandemic. Yeah, I don't know this whole thing. That I, I, I feel like the biggest mistake that they made was staying true to the premise of the show. So much so to where Ooh, it just became yeah. so predictable. Now, mm-hmm. you know, they, you're talking about formula and the discipline of writers of staying within a formula then yeah. the writer room at flash has done that you can see legends of tomorrow once they found out that no one took the show seriously they started wilding out they just became mm-hmm. sloppy and it's just been fun to watch the legends of to meow meow was their best episode ever <laughs> i heard that i have not seen it but i heard that it was wild it was funny like it was everything it needed to be and it just showed that the boys were absolutely useless just absolutely useless mm-hmm. um and actually flash did that too with the girls night out episode the yeah. oh so, yeah yeah um yeah i don't know why flash didn't get into some other things you know they showed one little change with barry when it came to nora once he expe- ex- accepted the 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 um gosh, what I want to say, the fatherhood, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. But the, even that was a little weird how they played that out. Like, him sending her away and stuff, that was even a little weird to me. I mean, that whole thing was weird. Excess was annoying AF. Um, they could have <laughs> done a better job with that. But to see him, like they said, his suit is spiking out of control. I was like, Molly Wap him, Barry. Like, he can't <laughs> get him. No, I can't feel. I'm like, that's, and that's why Iris always has to do it for you. Yeah, yeah, she always has to save the day. Like, I was just like, why can you never just do it right once? Iris, we need to talk about this. You killed someone. And Iris was like, yeah, if it had been you or my dad, like, I don't care. I'm good. You want pancakes? Like, Iris was just like, whatever. It is what it is. My dad's a cop. Like, you got to do what you got to do. So it's interesting how they just allowed Barry to be so damn fragile. Yeah, yeah, he does it because now that you point that out, yeah, he does do a lot of things, and it's just like, well, other people got to figure this out and help him out of it. And you're like, is there ever going to be a time where he's like, okay, I did this, this, and this, I know I need to get myself out of this, or maybe not do it in the first place, but you know, that and that's what I'm saying. And he's supposed to be so technically sound with math and science, but he's stupid. Yeah, I mean, yeah, to, like the him whole losing his speed and everything. I'm like, Lord, how are they going to like tie this into next season and keep that going? Right, and then thinking it's okay after everything he's been through with the seed, the speed force to now I'm going to make a synthetic speed force. I'm like, oh yeah, because that worked out so well for the yeah. Larry. He, he's not gonna mess nothing. Yeah, he's not gonna mess yeah, nothing no. up. It's gonna be great going into the next season. Girl, they in mess. <laughs> I want to ask you too, since we're on the seat. Do you watch uh, Black Lightning at all? I or used is, to. Or is the, I had, yeah. 
I, I met one of the actors at an event and I will let you know, I no longer watch that show. I've not watched a single episode since I had an interaction with that person. Oh, well, Hey, there you go. Let's put a nice little bow on that. But yeah, I mean, I CW, like I said, in general, look, I, I, do, talk about what I, do, I do want to talk about that real quick without. Oh, go it. ahead. Do it. Do it. Go I, ahead. Go I, ahead. I will preface this statement, but I will preface this by I am gay. So don't even try to come for me on some homophobic stuff when I say what I'm about to say. Mm-hmm. You can tell that the CW would not greenlight that show unless one of the characters was gay. You can tell because mm-hmm. okay. it's, poorly, it's so poorly written in terms of her relationships mm-hmm. and her interactivity inside those relationships that Salem really just didn't, he's not feeling it. You know what I'm saying? He's a Muslim man. He's not feeling it. So you can tell in the writing, you have all this melanated, dripping excellence, but then they go and she breaks up with somebody. Then she goes date some mediocre girl who might have little superhero powers too. And she's just not connecting with anyone. And and really for a short period of time, there were no episodes to where you even saw her with anybody. Oh, wow. Yeah, I I didn't even think about that. That's true. Yeah, Yeah, the studio came back and and you can tell when there's, you can always tell when there's network notes because they just do the dumbest things just to appease them. It happens all the time when I watch Chicago Fire, you know, Hmm. where they'll narrate to us why they're using this, that, and the other. What fire department, you know, go on a call and be like, yes, and now we're going to use the ax to pick away at this window and make sure we put a blanket over their face. Like it's that kind of thing, right? Yeah. So I was like, oh, these were network notes because it was just so weird why it happened. And so the same thing with her, all of a sudden now it was like, oh, and at the end of this episode, old girl shows up. And so I was mm. like, ah, network yeah. was like, hey, we haven't had any gay shit in six episodes. What's going on, right? So mm. I do feel like when it comes to that show that they forced a character to be gay that really wasn't designed to be gay. Now, obviously, I don't know the showrunners. I haven't listened to anything by them to know, you know, if that's what it is. But me looking mm. at it by design, it doesn't make any sense as to why her character is gay. It really doesn't. Huh. See, that's an interesting perspective. See, you got me some. You got me thinking about it now when I go back in to watch this, uh, the, watch this new season and check it out. That's interesting. Oh, yeah, I, never, so I, I, I had not thought. Of, see, I was just so excited to see, you know, this melanin kicking butt that I didn't even think about that. I mean, that's like, you making a lot of points here. I didn't even that even crossed my mind. Well, I mean, it's stuff that I deal with all the time looking at the shows that are on the air. Like, you can't help but notice that the majority of the shows that are on the air that are black led, they have to be gay. They are not. Um, green lighting any other shows. P Valley is a prime example of that. Oh yeah, yeah. I haven't checked it out yet, but yeah, I heard that. Yeah. So hmm. I'm that one That's interesting. That's like, can we get just the regular heterosexual black family, please? Again, can we can we get back to that? Oh, that's yeah, that is a good point. Yeah, I'm always thinking about sometimes. Or the you have the movies where it's like one of the parents is out of the picture, and it's just like, are they going to stop doing that? Because all the fam- all black families are not like that. So yeah, it's it's. It's very like typical things that you're, yeah, when you're taking with the all black class, you're like, did I always have to go to that that one issue? Mm-hmm. Because it's not us writing it. Uh, well, I tell you because what, that woman shall be interesting. I get I get scripts from white people all the time that have serious black issues. One person, I think they were trolling me and sent me some sort of script that was like inward something. I had tweeted mm. about it once where I was like, oh, that's cute. You really, and then have the audacity in the, in the email to be like, oh, well, you know, we can change the name. And I'm like, you know, the fact that you even thought this title was appropriate speaks volumes. But I had another woman reach out and say that she was doing a film basically profiling white women who were helpful during slavery because, you know, that's what Um, we need, right? 
And so she said, well, given the sensitive subject matter, a friend told me that I should have a black person attached as a consultant. And um, I wanted to reach out to you. What? Yeah. No. So like just dumb stuff happens all the time. Yeah, it's crazy. They're, They're so out of touch. They don't understand really the true needs and demands of the community. Um, and I think also the problem is, too, is that a lot of the youth idolize some of these newer showrunners, not realizing that they are a part of the propaganda machine as well. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely about not realizing because like you said, it's very much OK, what you see on Twitter, what you see on Instagram. I mean, you know, you may cancel some people as they do now on Twitter and Instagram, but are you really doing the research on other people like you're saying that you don't know everything about these shows? that part yeah you guys are worshiping a lot of people who you really shouldn't be you know leave it at that <laughs> well you know listen i'm just trying to figure out if you got any more little nuggets you want to close this out with here. you, <laughs> you was dropping all the dollars i was just gonna be <laughs> on my cw channel right now just looking just going through the shows well i mean like for me the arrow i never could get into it um oh yeah yep 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 and yep. then i started yeah. the cinematography and it was like they were using extreme wide shots so they could catch all eight of them fighting at once. And I'm like, this is so stupid. And one day I think I even sat here at my desk, just miming one of the fight scenes where I started to like go on live and be like, ha, hoo, ha, ha. And it's like, it's arrow. You know, you always yeah, have this yeah, yeah. long shot that somebody jumping over something and ducking and twisting and all that. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is so lame. But people really resonated with it. I never connected with uh, Oliver. It just never, yeah, never, never got me either. Yeah, um, yeah. I tried in some of the crossovers to give him a chance, but yeah, it never really connected with me. No, and Supergirl, I don't even know why they didn't cancel that. I really don't. Um, well, a lot of people said they like they were cool with the first season. You were so you weren't a fan of the first season. No, I mean I really didn't get that far to be honest. I'm just curious. I, I was amazed that it ended up on CBS in season one, and I was not surprised when it was shifted over to the CW. Mm-hmm. Um. Not to mention, in terms of the union, CW isn't even considered a network. So there's a different pay scale for that. So that was something oh, new I yeah. during COVID. Yeah. I didn't know about that. I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah, not a fan of that. Now, what I am here for is the recasting of Batwoman, though. Oh, yeah. that's I'm excited about that. Yeah. I'm really excited about that. I really hope that they make some changes. I can understand mm-hmm. why I do too, yeah. You know, they tried yeah. to do Batwoman like Supergirl and Flash, and mm-hmm. she's like, I'm Ruby Rose, bitch. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I mean, that's pretty much, yeah, that's pretty much what happened to him. Yeah, that's what she did, yeah. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see if they're going to stay with this cookie-cutter clean thing or if they're going to do their usual propaganda and hypersexualize Batwoman now that she's Black. Ooh, I'm, I'm yeah. curious what you're about to do. Yeah. I really, I'm here for it because... Watching those two girls take pictures together and be cool, I'm like, this is gonna be a dope ass show, regardless. Like, period. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. They, get, yeah. I'm very excited. Yeah, about to see what uh, Javicia is gonna do with this. It's gonna be cool. I'm excited to see what it is. It's just something different, and like, you just, mm-hmm. you just CW. You just want to keep like, even you know, whether they're getting it all right behind the scenes or not. We just need to keep seeing those faces because, like you said, we can't just keep having the same five people in certain roles or the same people you know, show running, producing things and think something's going to change. You know, we got to keep this, got to keep this train going. Now, did you notice that on Legends of Tomorrow, after um, Amaya got recast as Charlie, you noticed that her and Steele never interact anymore? 
Oh, I didn't. I see, you got me again. I, I'm telling you, I'm about to go back and like, I see, because I'm, I'm just now that. getting into that show. I'm about to be watching everything. Yeah. I thought it was really weird because considering how tight they made their love and entangled they were as mm-hmm. Maya and Neil, that then all of a sudden when she comes back as Charlie, why is he now all of a sudden working with uh, Ava's girlfriend over at Ooh, the office? There you go. Yeah. And I was like, um, that's weird. And then finally when they do address it, because I think everybody was like, yo, you're going to need to do something about him seeing Charlie and thinking it's Amaya. And then they see each other and he's like, Amaya. And it's like, no, I'm Charlie, mate. And then all of a sudden he's over it. And I'm like, Mm-mm, no, there's, there's no way. And then you notice they hardly have scenes together. I watched one where they had the whole cast, you know, getting ready to do a jump. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, I think Amaya was in the back and Steele was in the front, whichever way it was vice versa. And they keep them on opposite ends. Something happened. Ooh. I think somebody got a little fresh. I'm going to guess it was Steele. And mm-hmm. it created some issues. And I can um, see, yeah, yeah. Now, and you know, that's why old girl was gone for about what four episodes, four or five episodes, right? We didn't have her back as Charlie immediately. Yeah, she was gone hmm. for a minute. And I thought she was off the show because I was like, okay, they finally closed out her storyline, but they have to have one at all times. That's what I have realized. They should have yeah, never got rid of old yeah. boy when the dude from Alias left. Mm-hmm. I forget his name, too. And Ooh, that was a good show, guy, Alias. When the guy oh, was, you know, the two that merge into something. See, I can't remember the name. Firestorm. Oh, yeah. Fire, yep, yep, yep. So that's it. When the professor left to go raise his new daughter, thanks to Barry Allen, basically. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, let's just call it what it is. When he left to go be a dad. Barry, God. Yeah, go ahead. They could have just kept the other dude a Firestorm and found another person for him to merge with or just pulled some bullshit and gave him some sort of serum that just allowed him to be Firestorm. But no, they didn't want to do that. They wrote him off the show. I want to know why. And so then That's they write question. him off. Yep. And now they've got issues. They're like, oh, snap. Uh, we have to have at least one. Let's go get Wally, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And then they get Wally, but you know, Keenan seems like he's in a tired take, uh, acquired taste, right? He, he yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, then he probably didn't blend with everybody else. So they're like, all right, we're gonna write him off. So then they kept Charlie because she balances out Constantine perfectly because they're both mm-hmm. wild. Like that yeah. episode where they turned old girl into a cat just so <laughs> they could go back in time. Like she told him, she's like, you guys are messing up the future, blah, 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 blah. They both looked at her, turned her back into a cat and went back and tried to fix their timeline. I was like, wow. <laughs> anyway, I enjoy it, but I think that there are definitely some issues on all those sets, not to mention Ray Palmer and his real life wife dipped. And we oh. found out on Instagram from the writer's room where they were like, we really loved having you guys. And I'm like, why they leave? Hold up. Yep. That's up. a good point. Mm, yeah, some stuff going down. Man, That's when all this stuff come back, this is going to be interesting. Making a million dollars a year and y'all just decided to dip? What happened? Mm, yeah, something happened. Huh, this so, is good. See, see, we I, I just need to have you back on here so we could just do a whole another CW rundown, especially when all the stuff start premiering and coming back. No, I have a theory about Chicago Fire, too, so let's talk about that. But I don't know if y'all oh, nerd yeah. fire science. I guess nobody really nerds out over fire science, right? Well, I mean, I mean, you got to nerd out over fire science. Like, come on now. So you got to nerd out over that. I don't know. These are the things that I think about. <laughs> I mean, well, I'm excited that you think about it. I mean, this is what Black Girl Nerd is all about. I'm excited that you think about it. Like I said, you need to come back for another episode. We're going to throw Chicago Fire in there when everything is premiered and coming off. Okay, I'm down. I mean, we know you're busy, but if you get like a couple minutes or something, you know, just a little couple minutes oh, yeah. on the side. I can, I can always vent about TV. That's no problem. 
<laughs> well, Tiana, thank you so much for joining me. You know, unless you got anything else you want to vent about, we can go ahead and wrap it unless you got something else you want to throw in there. Well, you know, I'm ready. Good. <laughs> <laughs> well, we appreciate you so much. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you. And you guys stay safe out there. Still wear those face masks. The pandemic is still going on. Everybody be safe. And I will talk to you later. Bye. The Black Girl Nerds podcast will return in just a moment. The Hyundai Elantra is a tech-savvy, smooth operator designed just for you. The Hyundai Elantra is a compact sedan with available class-exclusive features like a digital key that unlocks your car with your phone and a 10.25-inch infotainment touchscreen along with dynamic voice recognition that will let you control the radio and adjust the temperature with your voice. For the young at heart who like to drive smart, introducing the Elantra with the most flavor yet. Seamless tech experience that puts your phone at the center of everything you do. Locking, unlocking, and starting your car. Designed for better living without breaking the bank. Learn more at Hyundai.com. Welcome to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, Angelica, and joining me today is a very special guest. She is one of the most accomplished female producers in Hollywood. Today, we're going to talk about her latest project, Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey. Please welcome Lynn Sisson Talbert. How are you? How are you doing? I'm great. I'm going to say this film was some much needed magic in my life. (laughs) Considering this year, this was great. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I watched it with my seven-year-old and uh, she is the true critic. So if she loves the movie, we are good to go. So she got, you got my daughter's approval. (laughs) My son is seven as well. So I understand the attention span. You feel the pain then, yes. So she sat through the whole thing. She got up and danced. So I was like, oh, this is going to be added to our collection. that's amazing. We're good. (laughs) Yeah, so I understand that your son, Elias, he actually helped inspire the film. Is that right? Yes, he did. Um, This has been a 20-year passion project. But after he was born that's when it was like, oh, we have to do this. We have to find a way to do this because in our favorite, you know, films of old, like the Mary Poppins and the, you know, A Christmas Story and, and you know, Willy Wonka and Chocolate Factory, all those films, when he sees them today, you know, he doesn't see himself. So he doesn't connect as much. But you put on Miles Morales or Black Panther, it's a whole nother story, mm-hmm. you know? Yes, so, yes. Um, very important. You know, we wanted to show him that he can fly. Oh, and you see, there's lots of flying yeah. in this one. <laughs> um, what was his reaction? Did he actually, I mean, what was his reaction when he first saw, like, the finished film? How did how did he feel? Oh, my goodness. Well, he just saw it this past Sunday because I kept, I kept okay. a lot of it from him because I didn't want to ruin you know, the magic of it all. And just like every other kid who, whose parents aren't in the movie business, you know, <laughs> see the where they just see the behind the scenes and they get a little jaded. So um, 
Mm. I it was amazing because we got to go to a movie theater. Actually, it was playing in some limited theaters. So he oh. got to see on the big screen and during the snowball scene, he got up and started dancing. So it, <laughs> it was it was really, really special. So it's the same for us. We have something that we can watch with him year after year after year. Awesome. Yeah, um, I can say that even at, me as an adult, um, I love musicals. I love Christmas movies. Like you said, A Christmas Story, that's that's on the list every year. Um, Elf, yeah. Grinch. So just just adding this to the collection um, and, and to see us on film, that's what really, you know, brought it home for me. I have i don't think I've ever seen anything like this. So just for that alone, thank oh, you. Thank you. It was our pleasure. Very, it was just very important. And just like you said, you've never seen anything like this which is tragic if you think about it, uh, you know, mm-hmm. that it takes, you know, 2020 to see, get a project like this done. Um, but that, that was the whole idea of it all is we want to see representation and want to show mm-hmm. us in a fantasy, you know, sci-fi visual effects world, magical world, you know, just like how we see yeah other people. And, um, that, that really is what it is. You know, it's great to do, you know, the remakes and all that kind of stuff, but I want original stories. We have a lot of talent out there. We have a lot of stories to tell, and we don't always have to do the black version of something. We can have our own Mm -hmm. version, you know? Yeah. this was wholly original and I really enjoyed it. And it also not just, you know, focusing on people of color, but also women. Um, there was several generations of women in this film that helped push the story along. You know, they were the heroes too. And um, one of my colleagues at Black Girl Giandra called it a love letter. Um, yeah. And I, I completely agree with her sentiment. So uh, what was it like for you, especially being a woman in the industry bringing the story forward. David's um, was raised by three generations of women, of black women. And Mm -hmm. so he always has had that a sensibility of seeing the story of the black woman and of, of women in general, and always had a passion for telling that story. Both of us have. Um, It was always important for us to, um, tell stories about us, about women we knew, family members, friends, all of that. And for this one, it it was, again, about creating something magical and, and passing mm-hmm. down that generational stories that you tell and that you learn from your grandmother, you know, or your great grandmother. Um, and also about the imagery, you know, um, very important, very purposeful to show all natural hair. Mm, yes. You know, the costuming, um, because I feel like just as a people in general, we can take a little and do a lot with it. And we've done it for generations. Yes. So it, it, there are things like that, that just growing up and him with his grandmother and great grandmother and me with my grandmother um, that are infused in there to kind of give a nod and an ode to that while at the same time showing this fabulous, fashionable. Um, I kind of like to say, I kind of coined this phrase, this um, Afro-Victorian style yes. of, of, of um, period. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of, and it's that that period of time, like the Victorian era, is always in holiday films. So to see um, a black cast, a predominantly black cast, just walking around as if that that was that's normal. That that was great to see. And even to your point about the hairstyles, I've put my daughter's hair in 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 a Journey's hair, oh. like the style that journey was rocking so she saw a little bit of herself in there she said i have that same hairstyle mommy and i was like see so it definitely is noticed and appreciated um oh you're welcome um and also let's talk about this cast how did you assemble this star-studded cast i mean you have forrest whitaker Felisa Rashad, Keegan-Michael Key, Anika Noni-Rose, like what, Ricky Martin. How did this come together? Yes. So first thing is like, just like how we knew we needed this in our lives, when they mm-hmm. read the script, I think they felt the same way. Um, yeah. Felicia Rashad was always the choice for this character. We had her on the wall, a picture of her on the wall. And we were just praying that she would say yes. And she did. <laughs> so she was our first and only choice. And if she didn't say yes, I was going to show up at her doorstep and beg her to do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Forrest Whitaker, we've known him for years. And David and him have known each other for years. And just never had the opportunity to work with each other. He was the first that came to the table and said yes. And David tells a story where Forrest asked him, you know, so do you want me to be in this project? He's like, I don't want you to be in this project. I need you to be in this project. Mm. And so they always had an amazing um, camaraderie with each other. And plus with Forrest and his um, directing background, you, you know, it was like having a big brother on set. At the same time, he allowed David to direct him, which is amazing, you know? Wow. So it it. Each of the cast members, oh my gosh, Hugh Bonneville, Downton Abbey. I mean, who doesn't love Downton Abbey? I mean, everybody. Man, and a sweet guy, Anika Noni Rose, you know, the first Disney Black princess. Like, everything just seems so fitting. And I was also so proud to be able to break some new talent when. Madeline Mills' mm-hmm. Journey, Kieran Dyer as Edison, and Lisa Davina Phillips as Miss Johnston. Oh, Miss Miss Johnson was a trip. <laughs> yes, she was. And we all have a Miss Johnson in our lives. I don't care what anybody We do. Somebody's, <laughs> is somebody's mom is somebody's something, and we just love her. You know, we love her. Yes. Yes. And to your point, Madeline and um I'm sorry, could you tell who played Edison? I just want to make sure we got him out there. Yes. They, together, they were a hoot. Like, so they're... adorable. And I'll tell you something. With with uh, Edison, Kieran, he's never done a film before. He came in because he wanted to go on an audition for his birthday. That's what he wanted for his birthday gift. So he what? walked in the room on his birthday and killed this audition and got a movie for his birthday, <laughs> you know? And he's so natural, so yes. fun and amazing. He told me that his favorite film was The Greatest Showman and he loves the choreography. And he's like, and I love Ashley Wallen who choreographed Greatest Showman. And I said, well, guess what? Ashley Wallen is choreographing our movie. And he was like, what? Oh my God, I want to 
So, you know, just amazing. And Madeline, like Madeline is such a bright light. She steals the film as Journey. And she, we did a worldwide search for her. We probably Mm -hmm. literally found her maybe weeks before we were going to start production. Um, We're down to the wire and she came in and we just knew she had such great chemistry with Forrest. Um, Our songwriter, Philip Lawrence worked with her. You know, she came in there to sing for him and he was like, we, this is it. This is her. Yeah. She got down there. I'm telling you, this is her, (laughs) you know, um, just, it's been an amazing journey and to have no pun intended. Yeah. (laughs) And to have, um, you know, someone like Madeline and Kieran and Lisa and just all of the cast come together like this and create this classic piece is like, what more could you ask for? Oh, for sure. It is. Like I said, this is in the collection. This is a classic in my mind and it hasn't even released yet it's gonna drop tomorrow the 13th so i can't wait (laughs) to see the reactions of everyone um and i can't wait for my parents to see this because we we love holiday films so tomorrow i'm gonna be like all right mom dad let's let's pull this up (laughs) for sure um so let's talk about the scope of this production it looked huge it was just a visual feast for the eyes tell me a little bit about kind of creating this the storytelling of this framework this visual so when david went in and pitched this to netflix initially um they were just he went in and pitched with nick nesbitt and scott stuber and the whole thing was saying in a nutshell that they wanted some big ideas and he's like well i got a big idea and he shared, you know, this story and he said, you know, my son's seven years old and he doesn't have anything that's like a classic holiday piece that, you know, represents him. And mm-hmm. and Scott and Nick both said, you know, well, we need to change that. So when it went, when it, they bought it in the room. So time oh. to do the script. Nick Nesbitt, our executive, he said, don't write budget. Write your imagination. Now, who says that? No, no, nobody says that. (laughs) That cracked David open, you know, and he was like, "Oh my gosh, I'm I'm in a whole nother world." So that's what it was about: writing his imagination. Um, My son, all of us, my son and David and I, we would talk about Buddy. What what can Buddy do? What should Buddy? do and he said you know he should fly and he should have this and so it it was just amazing to see even my son's animation grow as we talked about the characters and what they can do and he just he knocked the writing out of the park and we just discovered so many things throughout as far as how to lend itself to the film by making not only the characters are characters, but the wardrobe is a character. The set design is a character. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the visual effects are characters. Um, it, to work in this world of visual effects is mind-blowing. I learned so much myself, but then knew that we, I could go so far with certain you know, um, as we all know, you know, getting hit with COVID, we were in post mm-hmm. for this. And during 
being in post, we were actually probably maybe a week away from flying into London with Felicia Rashad to get some additional photography. And when everything hit and we didn't know what was going on, I had to call Felicia. I'm like, Felicia, you know, I'm going to have to call this, this trip off. You know, we don't know what's going on. And I'd never forgive myself if something happened to you. And she's like, no, Lynn, you know, I'm good. We can go. We you know, she ready to do anything. Um, right. And I was like, I can't do it. And then literally like two days later, they shut down the borders. So oh, wow. that is what, you know, kicked in. Okay, we got to be more imaginative with these storybook pieces. And, you know, mm-hmm. some different pitches were brought in and it just something kept hitting me about these miniatures. And I would always watch shorts with my son and, they would have no sound. They would not talk. It would only be narration mm-hmm. or score. And it's so captivating to me. So it's like, how can we do something like that in this world that is pleasing to the eye for adults and children? And this is what we came up with. And I'm so proud of it. I had, we had an amazing visual effects team, um, frame store in Montreal and London. You know, we're on Zooms with um, all of our visual effects people from around the world. Um, it, it's this film, like to work with everyone, it has been such a ball and, and so amazing in the creativity that we've been able to pull out from it. And all of the visual effects um, employees have called us and just said, you know, this is our favorite project. We cannot wait for this to come out. So it's, it's been really special. Yeah. I mean, I love the stop motion. That was like whimsical and fun. Oh, it's an, it looks like stop motion. Oh, what is it? What's the technique? Oh, wow. Yeah. That, that was one of my favorite parts of the film. Just seeing these little, like wooden dolls or toys interacting. That was yeah, great. Yeah, the whole idea was as if, you know, Geronicus carved them and he created this book. Yeah. So, um, so like, I, I feel like they're so amazing. We could just do a whole film on just them or a little short on just them. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I want, I want them to be Christmas ornaments and toys and everything. I, I just don't want it to end. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Get that out there. Get that out there. I'll buy it. (laughs) Well, you know, a a musical or this type of film wouldn't be anything without the music. So let's talk about that. Um, I understand the musical score was a large part of uh, conceived by John Legend. Um, The score score was done by John Debney. And John John Legend did um, the song Make It Work in the film. That song I feel like was tailor made for her. Was that intentional or that just happened? That just worked out. That just worked out because David, we, we had initially um, received a song and which was amazing because of course John writes amazing things, but we found it where in the film we needed to, to convey a certain message. So David flew into LA out of London, flew back out here and went to John's house and just sat with him. And literally like within minutes, David said, look, this is what's going on. You know, she's coming back. She needs to make this relationship work. He's got to make buddy work. We just got to make it work again. And he's like, make it work again. I could do that. And he just literally wrote it right then and there. Yeah. Ooh, so that's talent. it was just <laughs> everything. And, and, and John Legend himself, he, 
says and was saying all the time, you know, I want something for my little girl to watch where she sees herself. And yeah. that's, you know, one of the things that really enticed him, him to come to the project as well. Absolutely. I mean, the songs are great. I love just the different styles to, like sprinkled throughout the film. Like you get, you know, soul, a little bit of gospel, some Afro beats, even just traditional show tunes. So the soundtrack or soundtrack is off the chain. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just put that out there. We're so excited about that. And that was the whole idea to give, give a world of, of musical styles, but still to mold together effortlessly. Um, the song that you hear in the snowball scene is by Bisa Kadi. And that was a song that actually was like my wake up song in my, on my, on my okay. phone for, for a long time. And uh, brought it to Ashley. I was like, I want, I want something like this for a snowball scene, you know. So we got to use yeah. that as our template. And fortunately, when we were in post, I was able to um, our music supervisor Julia, excuse me, Julia Michaels, um, connected me with him, and I told him how much I loved his song. We're actually on a Zoom. He's in Ghana, and I'm here, mm. and we're talking. And I was like, Can we do something like this? It, like do a special version of this for the film. And I showed him the scene and he was just like, yes, totally down for it. So um, this song was called a Sue. So he did a special remix of a Sue for Jingle Jangle, oh, wow. you know, Jingle Jangle. Remix. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> it, it works it works so this soundtrack is a partnership between Atlantic Records and Netflix yes. um and like I said I my, my like I said I, I played it against my for my daughter she loved it and for me um the measure of a great song is if I can like bump it in the mm-hmm. car uh <laughs> so so that for me even if it's not like even if it, like the it don't slap right. like that as far as like um if if, if it moves me so like this day yeah. That would make me cry yes. in the car <laughs> with the music oh swelling. No, it'll make you cry and it'll make you dance at the same time. While you cry. Yes, you know? yes. Um, yeah. Oh, we're, look, working with Atlantic has been amazing. The soundtrack drops tonight at midnight. I'm really excited about that. Okay. <laughs> um, yes. And just all of these songs, uh, you know, shout out to Philip Lawrence and Davey Nathan and Michael Diskant, who were the writers of the songs. Um it's something for everyone in there. You know, this day, uh, Usher and Kiana Lee Day redid for mm-hmm. our main titles on ends. And so that was amazing to hear, you know, to work with him to redo the song and, and Kiana Lee Day. And then with the song, you know, make it work. It's like when you need that, that yes. little push to just kind of get to the other side type of song. And then inspiration there's square root of possible you know which is like my song to me to sing in the mirror to myself really the whole theme of pushing through this movie because this was difficult I mean everything that you see on the screen it's not easy to do that and I know when you look at it it doesn't look easy you're like whoa like this is massive it it is a lot of work so I needed to find my square root of possible daily to get through that um, and then Miss Johnson's song, Miles and Miles, I just love, you know, I was playing, I was telling um, Phil and my husband and I both, I was like, I wanted to feel like a little, like Prince a little bit, you know, with the background 
some singers yeah. coming in and giving a little bit of vibe to the story, you know, <laughs> just like right, you right. do sometimes or the temptations are telling you a little bit more of the story when, when the background dancers are singing. So it, it's just a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. It's a good time. It's like you can play it all, all year long. It's not just holiday. Yeah. And I do want to point that out. Even though this is a, a Christmas film, the actual songs themselves aren't necessarily exactly. Christmas. You could listen to this year round. Uh, my daughter really liked uh, Magic Man G. Yeah. She got a kick out of that one. And the, the James Brown kind of inspiration right. was, was fun for me. Right. That is a favorite. That song there is a good time. It is a good time. Yeah. And Keegan... He killed it doing that song, Keegan Michael Key. And that one is a lot of fun. And my son loves that song as well. And he's always magic, man. He's singing around the house and he's doing the little dances. But that that was the whole idea. We just kind of wanted to stop everything and just make everyone feel good in that moment. Yeah, absolutely. And even just to point out, uh, nice to see a different side of Ricky Martin. Um, not used to seeing him as a villain. So his uh, his kind of villainous, like, mwahaha track, uh, Barrowin definitely was also pretty cool, oh, too. Oh, Ricky was phenomenal to work with. And his comedy chops, too. Right. You know, like you hate you love to hate him, but you hate hate to love him. That's how like Don Juan yes. is with his character. And it and it's just so ridiculous how vain he is to be a toy. <laughs> you know, it's just Don Juan is that that just that comedy that you can't stop. And him and Keegan, their little battle together, it's hilarious. Absolutely. He lords over over that over <laughs> over Keegan so it, it was fun to watch I'm so glad you enjoyed it absolutely um and also speaking of the the square root of impossible or impossible the square root of possible uh the audiobook is coming out yes. or an anim- uh, a book that yeah let's talk yes, about that we actually have three books so the first one is called the square root of possible and that's a picture book for the little ones from like three to eight okay. um that's uh done through Razorville and um had an amazing a black female artist named Tara Nicole Whitaker illustrate that. Um, And we wrote that. It's a sweet little Christmas story, um, Square Root of Possible, inspired by the song. And we also put the lyrics um, at the back of the book. And anyone that purchases a book, Atlantic was kind enough to, they get the song, a free download of the song. So if you keep your receipt, you get a free download of Square Root of Possible. Actually, of all the books, any of the books you purchase, you get a free download of Square Root of Possible. The second book is a middle grade book. It's called The Invention of Geronicus Jangle. And that oh, middle right. grade book is like your 10 and up. And that's the one where we did the audio book for that one. And it was like a real full circle moment because I was able to get Felicia Rashad to read the audio book for that. Uh. I'm getting it yes, then. Yes. <laughs> Her voice is like butter. Yes. So they're all available for pre-order now. Um, when you download the audio book, the song will already be on that when you download it. Okay, awesome. Gifts. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm thinking now. Um, <laughs> well, tell me about your favorite time on set. What was like the, your favorite moment on set? Uh, I had so many. I of course I love the the choreography and the songs when we do the songs and the choreography. But then there would be so many intimate 
uh, moment scenes as well. I remember when um, we were rehearsing for over and over that forest sings um, the mm-hmm. ballad and we were just doing a rehearsal and forest, you know, we, we, David said action for the rehearsal and thankfully we were recording it and Forrest sang the whole song there and we were all in tears and we actually oh. used that, used that take for the film. Oh, he, wow. He did, yeah. Oh, he's, he's such a gem and such a gentle giant, but I felt his, <laughs> his pain in that. You know, and so that it, it's more like amazing, magical moments that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of little Easter eggs uh, that you'll find as you watch it over and over again in there. And I don't want to like, you know, give too much stuff away, but um, it, it's just a lot of really sweet moments and things that happen that are emotional. And I like those moments, but then I like the comedy moments too. Like I journey mm-hmm. Edison uh I love I love them in the tunnel scene and and sneaking mm-hmm. around or even when she's like you know do you want to be my apprentice she's like no do you want to be mine do you want to be my apprentice <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know so it's just it's, it's it's just really sweet like when I look back on it um all of us worked so hard to get this done in this time frame and the fact that we were able to just kind of go beyond our imagination was amazing. And the tools that we were able to use, like I had a 3D, we had 3D glasses that they would build the sets on computer so that we could look at them before they were built. So I literally have these glasses on walking in, you know, Geronicus's workshop virtually. Wow. You know, to see if we liked how that was or how the structure was or the spacing. You know, that's how I saw Buddy for the first time, like sitting there in a virtual world. It was like I could touch him. Yeah, that's a lot of of things like that that you wouldn't expect. Um, My my late father, uh, there's a building named after him in in the movie in Cobbleton called Sisson Arms. It's right next to Jangles and Things. Oh, took okay. a picture of him and turned it into a period picture and it's hanging on Sisson arms. And um, when they did the picture, my mom was there with me in London and they called me into the office because they wanted to show me something. And I didn't know they were going to do this. And we went in there and there's this, you know, huge painting of my dad and, you know, things like that. Sorry. No, you're fine. Thank you yeah, for sharing. Stuff like that that make make this more special because I'm able to honor my father. I'm able to honor people that have paved this way for us, you know, including the forests and the Felicia Rashad of the world. And um, you know, even in the past, you know, we we named buildings after historical figures, historical black figures. Um for example, Rosetta Tharp, you know, she was known as the godmother of rock and roll. The music store is named after her. Um, David's great-grandmother, mm. who was a pastor of an A&E church, um, Annie Mae Woods, you know, a sweets uh, building is named after her because she made the best sweet potato pies. So, <laughs> you know, even when John Lewis passed, we were able to name a bank after him in our um, storybook world. So... 
it's, oh, it's wow. when that's what I mean when I say there's like a lot of Easter eggs in there and to be able to do things like that it just makes it so much more meaningful yeah absolutely I'll be looking out for those Easter eggs then on my second third fourth fifth watch of the- <laughs> um well I know my daughter's always says mommy um magic is real if you believe yeah. in it and I feel like that is like the takeaway from this film Um, So I want to thank you for bringing magic back into our lives. And it was such a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you so much, Angelica. um, I'm happy to do it. And it's for your child and mom and the (laughs) child in all of us, you know, because we can that too. So thank you so much. We are happy to do it and so excited for the world to be able to see it tomorrow. Uh, Tomorrow. Yep. So, uh, Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey is available for streaming November 13th. Um, Lynn, did you want to share your social media with our listeners? Uh, My IG is at Lynn Sisson Talbert. And my Facebook is the same, at Lynn Sisson Talbert. And my Twitter is at Lynn Talbert. And I would love to hear your thoughts. And after you see it and, and hit me up, I would love to see how you feel after seeing the movie. Yeah, absolutely. I'll let you know as well. <laughs> I'll be tweeting at you. Well, uh, <laughs> well, our, our, our social media is at Black Girl Nerd, so let us know your thoughts on the film. We can't wait for you guys to watch it, listen to the soundtrack, you know, get the, the, the book, the audiobook. We're, we cannot wait for your reaction, so let us know, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Bye! The Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Broadnax. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find various episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Audioboom, Google Play Music, and Spotify.